Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. There are four candidates competing for three slots in the 2019 Republican primary election for at-large Fisher City Council. One of those candidates is incumbent Cecilia Coble. I spoke with Cecilia Coble midday Tuesday, March 26th. I'm at the Ignite Space here at the Fisher's Library. Actually, it's the Hamilton East Library here in Fisher's at the Municipal Complex, right next door to the new police headquarters. And uh, the Ignite Space offers all sorts of artistic opportunities. They have 3D printers here. We are in the AV studio, which is a television and audio studio, which has nice acoustics. So whatever you may be doing artistically, the uh, Hamilton East Library here in Fishers at Ignite in the lower level, they have something for you. Come any time that this library is open, and the librarians would be happy to give you a tour of what they have to offer here. We're continuing our uh, discussions with candidates for re-election and for election to the Fisher City Council. I'm with Cecilia Coble. She's a candidate for re-election for Fisher City Council at large. Cecilia, you've been on many podcasts before. It's great to welcome you back. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for having me today. Um, You've served on the Fisher City Council for nearly five years. And I have to explain this to people who maybe are not from Fishers because normally in Indiana – City council members have four-year terms, but there was a transition year when Fishers transitioned from a town to a city. So there were one-year terms. So there were really two elections, and there should have been one. So you've had a one-year term you were elected to, a four-year term. So we're closing in on five years now that Fishers has become that that second-class city. We are a growing community. There are many people here who didn't live here four years ago when you were running. So just for those who may not be familiar with you, just just tell us uh, about yourself for a minute or two. Sure. Well, I've uh, lived in Fishers for about, well, since 2011. We moved here. We were living actually on the other side of the lake, and we came here because of— That's Geist Lake. Yes, the okay. reservoir, yes. actually. Uh, we we moved here because of the schools and because of the services that were offered here in Fishers for individuals with autism. We have two daughters, Alexa and Krista, and Krista has autism and cognitive delays. So she was going to the BACA to receive ABA therapy, and, and so we moved to Fishers, and— uh, we've we've loved it, enjoyed it here, and I've been married to my husband Mike for um, well for twenty five years. Actually, we celebrated it in January. It's hard to believe how how time has flown by. And I am a lawyer. I I don't practice, although I'm I'm a member of the Indiana Bar, so I took the bar exam, passed, and I don't practice. I used to do government relations for Bank One years ago prior to having kids and enjoyed doing that and with the challenges of having a child with disabilities and early on when we were trying to figure out what the diagnosis was, uh, it was very challenging and it it took a lot of time. So I dedicated my time in trying to help Krista be the best that she can be and get her to a right place and and so I would spend my time volunteering for various nonprofits, raising money for various nonprofits. And and when the opportunity came about to have a, a municipal government 
a second-class city election and there was opportunity to serve, I thought, well, why not? And it's been it's been a wonderful experience. I can't believe how fast the time has gone by and it's uh, ready to uh, serve another term. And I can't believe the election is coming up May 7th. That's correct. And that's the uh, Republican primary election. And I guess that leads me to the next question, because you you, uh, chose to serve in the one-year term, and then when the four-year term came, you ran for election. Now you're asking uh, voters to vote for you again for another four-year term. So what drove your decision to seek re-election this time around? Sure, sure. Well, I'll tell you what, I I believe that when we first became a city, it took a while for everyone to kind of gel. There were town council members now um, on the other side of the aisle, if you will, in terms of, well, in the other branch of government, in the legislative branch versus the executive branch. We had a new mayor. We had all new council members. So gelling all of that and uh, learning about municipal government, learning how to become a city, what the vision was. You know, it takes a while. And now we build up all this momentum. We've, we have so much success here in Fishers. We've, we've put Fishers on the map, map both statewide and nationally for, for many accolades and many recognitions that we've, we've had. And I want to be able to continue with that momentum and continue to serve and, just grow what we've the successes that we've had so far and the time just goes by so fast that to be honest with you I feel like we're just getting started uh, with that in mind uh, what are the main issues you'll be focusing on as you rev up your re-election campaign well there are a lot of things well first of all this is just a wonderful place to live, and I, I want to make sure that we are still a tax-friendly environment, that we're one of the safest communities in which to live and raise a family. I want to make sure that we continue to look at our infrastructure and the amenities that we have here in Fisher so that we we build a stronger sense of place. We, we provide places for us to go when we want to bring visitors to our city and places to bring our friends and family. So the Nickel Plate Trail, the new Geist Water Park, you know, those things are are projects right now that are in the early stages. And I want to be a part of making sure that they are uh, finished and that they are seen through and in the right way. And so far, we've received a lot of community feedback on that. But uh, that's important. I, I think the other thing is looking at uh, our continued economic development, making sure that it's smart, strategic, and viable, which which we've done, bringing in more jobs, bringing in more opportunities for people to live, work, and play here in Fishers. I want to ask about the Waterfront Park, because you live in the Geist area. You're an at-large councilwoman, so you go representing the entire city. But that was presented as a one-time opportunity. The IMI Mining Company, I think there was another smaller landowner, uh, basically had mined out that whole area, and they were preparing to sell, and the city moved in very quickly to take that property over. And it is a fairly expensive endeavor, but I think uh, the mayor's point, and I want your take on this, is that this may be the only chance now, since the most of the Geist area where on Fishers and really in other parts, but especially where the city of Fishers borders Geist Reservoir, 
you know, that may be the only chance for a public park or public space. So even though it's going to be kind of an expensive endeavor, and even those who are in favor of it admit that, do you think it's worth the cost to to develop that park at this time? Absolutely. I think there's so many people that would like to be on the water and they don't live directly on the water or they don't have a boat. But this is an opportunity for our residents to experience the unique feature that we have and the unique amenity that we have in Fishers, and that is the Geist Reservoir. And it's it's beautiful. It's not, It would be a passive park where we could have paddle boats, picnicking, swimming. It's just going to be very unique. And, and we need to protect that asset that we have. It, it really is a jewel in our community on the east side. And, and I'm excited that other people are going to get a chance to enjoy that amenity once it's all finished. And one last question about Geist in general. It's been a lot of talk about Geist Reservoir that perhaps it's been neglected. And maybe that's because there are so many governmental entities that border that lake, that reservoir, whatever you wish to call it. But uh, I know some dredging has already been arranged for the area around the planned park. But there's also been talk of a conservancy district so that all the governments that border Geist can try to preserve the lake. I mean, at this point, I don't think there's any dangerous losing the lake, quote-unquote. But uh, there are people who know something about this who say, if that lake is neglected over a longer period of time, that's a great amenity we could lose. What's your view about how to, to go about protecting that conservancy district where all the governments kind of chip in has been one proposal? What what do you think on that? Well, at the moment, I, I am in favor of what they're doing with the, the coalition, the conservancy a district and and I did sign the petition. I mean, we we have to come together as a community to protect that asset and to make it as as best as we can. And I think by doing so, we we uh, invest in it and we protect it and we make it the best that it can be. It, it could be a little bit better. And I think this is something where, where unfortunately, there, there are so many moving parts and a lot of people affected, but we need to work together. And one thing that Fishers does amazing is collaboration with so many community partners. And so I feel very positive that eventually this will all come together to, to the benefit of the reservoir. When you entered the council, I believe it was in 2015, uh, did you set any particular goals for yourself as a council member as to what you wanted to accomplish? Well, at that time, we, we didn't have an identity, so to speak. At the time when we became a city, we were just a bedroom community of neighborhoods. And now we've really made a mark. We've, we've like I said, have made a national mark and we're an example of some of the innovation that we're doing with launch fishers with the internet of things with the partnerships that we have with various community partners like hsc schools and the community i i really feel like what we've accomplished as a council and as city government we've exceeded i think even our own personal vision one of the favorite people, leaders that I always quote is Abraham Lincoln. And when I was running, I quoted him because he once said, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And we've we've created our future. We've created an identity. And I want to continue to build that and make that stronger. There's a lot of exciting things I want to continue to work on, like 
part of the Arts and Culture Commission. I'm the vice president of that, or vice chair of that commission. And there are a lot of exciting things that I think that are left to do that we can do more to champion arts and culture in our communities. So that's something moving forward I'm really excited to be a part of along with the other members of the commission. I want to continue to make strides when it comes to helping the the disability community and uh, bringing more awareness about employment, about accessibility and inclusion. We have so many more opportunities and so much work, positive work has been done in the in just the short time amount, uh, short amount of time that I've been involved with that and others. So there's just a lot. It, it, I, there's not one specific thing, but there's a, a lot of different things. Uh, I feel like continuing to try to engage the community more. One thing um, we've been doing as a as a council is we've been getting out to the farmers markets. We have a, a council booth there. It's a meet and greet with with city council members. We've we've provided a a comment period at the end of each city council meetings. You know, one of the challenges has been is how how do we engage more people? We do have so many ways that people can get involved. I think we're one of the few cities that also puts out one of those magazines, the monthly magazine, the Fisher's Talk magazine. It provides all kinds of information on committees and information that we're doing on a monthly basis where people can get involved. I'm always just trying to see, you know, how can we get that information out to constituents and, you know, give them opportunities to get more engaged and involved in our in our committee, in our community. I'm going to drill down on some of the things you mentioned. Uh, You have absolutely been the driver and, and one of the main people to create and continue the the Disability Advisory Committee. And uh, as we record this, we're near the end of the uh, Disability Awareness Month, and we've already had a podcast with you and others about uh, the activities you, you've been undertaking this, this entire month. Um, and you've talked about why, because your daughter has challenges, and one of the reasons you moved here is because you felt that she, she would have a lot of support. And I noticed that uh, each year you've had this uh, Disability Awareness Month. This is this is one of the major activities of your committee, and you seem to have more activities every year. So tell me where you think you started and where you are now in terms of disability awareness and doing what you had set out to do as as, as a member of that committee. Sure, sure. Well, when I got elected, I, I had conversations with our mayor, and of course, Mayor Fadness has been a wonderful supporter of, of disabilities. You know, he himself has not been directly affected. He doesn't have anyone in his family at the moment with, with disabilities, and so he says, Cecilia, I, I um, want to learn more. I want to help you uh, go out and, and start working with the community, seek stakeholders, and start building this group. And so that's what we, we've done. We, uh, before we became a city, there was an ADA task force that was formed as a part of the ADA transition plan. And this has now grown to be a collaborative community effort where you have so many partnerships, service providers, the school system, parents, educators, people that have worked with people with disabilities, have a big heart for people with disabilities, employers, our list of employers who are now looking to 
uh, employ people with physical and intellectual disabilities is growing. So this is not just me. This is uh, myself and and various partners and passionate people like my co-chair, Stacey Oldham, who's the co-chair with me in the Fisher's Advisory Committee on Disability. And there's just so many wonderful people and and now other cities are looking at what we've done, and Carmel now is putting together an advisory committee on disability, and they're asking, well, how did you do this, and how did you implement this program? And so it's just wonderful to see the 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 vine that's growing and, and the awareness that's developed because of, of our efforts. Trying to remember, I believe you served on the council's nonprofit committee. Is that correct? I'm that's correct, right. Okay, so that's just for people who don't know. The city has decided it will fund certain nonprofit activities throughout the community, and that committee decides, first of all, how much money is available in the city budget and how to, uh, how to uh, distribute that money once uh, you know how much you have. And one of the biggest decisions that committee has made is the decision to – not fund the Fishers Freedom Festival, and the city started its own festival, the Spark Fishers Festival. And I volunteered for both. And I do remember the, the Spark Fishers Festival is one thing you can't control is the weather. And it was a very hot day that day. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it was, it was challenging for the volunteers, for the city, and really everybody involved, although it cooled down a bit for the parade. And we did have a pretty good crowd for that and the, and, and the uh the uh, the fireworks that, that ended the whole uh, day uh, for Spark Fishers around the, just before the Fourth of July holiday. So my question is: Do you think that the decision to not fund the Fishers Freedom Festival and go ahead and, and have the city begin the uh, Spark Fishers Festival? How do you feel about that decision at this point? Sure. Well, it was a very successful first year for Sparks Fishers. Uh, you know, this is a big endeavor, and one of the things that our Parks and Recreation Department does well is put on events. They they have the bandwidth to do that, and I, I really just want to, first of all, uh, thank Jennifer Kale for her leadership because the Fisher's Freedom Festival has always been a wonderful event, and it, it takes a village to get that off and going, and it was a lot of hard work, and she did an amazing job doing that. And But I think with, with, it, with us transitioning into a city, it, it makes more sense for for parks and recreation to take that on and and because they have a, a lot more resources and volunteers and and they do this every day they're 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 the experts in event planning if if you will so i think just like anything else you know we have to continue to mature and grow our events and look at uh, what went well, what didn't go well. And we always do that it, with, with any event you have, even with the events we do for Disability Awareness Month, we look at what did we do well and what, what could we do better and what do we change. And one of the things that was really cool about Spark Fishers this year is they had an area for uh, people with disabilities. They had a, a sensory area and they had an area for people, a designated area for people with disabilities to see the parade and, and an area there where it was sensory friendly so that it was quieter as the parade passed by. You, It was very quiet for those with sensory processing disorders and, and, and sensory uh People, so it, it was really neat to see just how we incorporated that that 
kind of um, opportunity to to include more people in our community. And we that was something that we, we received a lot of positive comments on, and people were very appreciative that that the committee had some some thought into that and and providing even some firework sensory areas there for for kids that are sensitive to the loud noise of fireworks and so we'll see you know this is continuing to evolve but i i believe that it was moving forward was was a good decision okay very good you mentioned this already and uh, you do serve on the newly formed arts and culture Commission. Part of the reason that was formed is because the state has designated Fishers for some special recognition in the terms of the arts, and it opens up some some new opportunities for support and funding. And you have a lot of construction going on, and obviously, you, uh, artists like to be involved with the private sector if they're both willing to do that. And that's one of the actually, it's going to be the uh, some of the planning people who'll be providing the staff support because of that. You know, people who are. Uh, dealing with planning and zoning and that sort of thing are, are supporting the, the commission in terms of staff. So you've started to talk about this, but I'm curious. You, now that this has become a reality and you are the vice uh, chair of that commission, uh, tell me what where do you think that commission is going to go? How do you view their involvement in supporting it and and trying to grow the arts and, and fishers? Absolutely. Well, since I've served on the city council, I've had a lot of people from the arts community come to me and say, we need more arts. We need more opportunity to showcase our talents. And I think with having this commission, we're going to be able to hopefully display the the visual artwork that so many wonderful artistic people have here in our community, hopefully provide opportunities for performing arts. And, and also one of the things that I am really passionate about is uh, bringing art to our community and providing artists opportunity to have entrepreneurial opportunities with regard to their art and how could we capture that as as we uh, do that with with technology can we do that with the arts and I think there's something that we could do that too to nurture that and to develop that and to help artists become more entrepreneurial when it comes to their their art making. And I guess the question I would ask is this. What's the city's responsibility to be involved in that? For example, the Fishers Arts Council and some other uh, arts organizations are trying to raise money for an indoor facility to, for, for artists, to, to, for performances and, and, and displays and that sort of thing. Um, if they're able to – and they're, they have a very ambitious fundraising goal. They're in the process of doing that. If they get close to their goal, do you think the city has a role in supporting that? Or what? what is your general view of the city's – responsibility or, or what the city should be involved with when it comes to supporting, uh, not just generally in support, but financially support uh, an arts organization? Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a component that, that we need to explore and we need to kind of watch to see how this evolves. It's just like anything else, you know, it slowly builds. I don't foresee that in the near future we would build anything like a palladium or anything like that. Nobody's proposing that. Uh, (laughs) But I think a a community center of sorts where, where we could have more space to display art. One of the challenges I know we have is City Hall. It's just not conducive for 
for the art to be displayed. And luckily, we have so many wonderful businesses that have offered to um, provide opportunities for artists to display their artwork in their businesses, in their offices. It's it's a wonderful opportunity for them, but it's it's scattered. And so to have all of that in one place would be very nice. That's one of the challenges we've had with, with Disability Awareness Night with our arts reception is that City Hall, we kind of outgrew that. And so having it at Connor Prairie was an excellent venue for our arts reception for Disability Awareness Month. And people really liked the open venue and and it was very conducive to that. So I think it's a, a wait and see. I think we need to just slowly look at how this is progressing and evolving and and see what, what comes about here in the next couple years to kind of evaluate where where and if the city would, would be a part of that in terms of, of a financial support. But like I said, I, I think art and culture is also an important aspect of our city, of our vibrancy. So so we have a there's some opportunities, I think, in, in the horizon. I went back and thought about this because anytime you uh, serve an elective office, you've got tough decisions to make. It's, that comes with the territory. And I'm going to give you a chance to add anything you want. But I, I thought back, what were some of the toughest decisions that city council members had to make over these last years? One of them, I think, which had to be one of the most difficult ones, was to, the decision to raise your pay because uh, there hadn't been any any going back to the town days. I don't think there had been a raise in pay for twenty or twenty five years. So you thought that was overdue, and you made the tough decision to do that. You enacted a wheel tax, which is dedicated to road projects and is funding road projects as as we speak. And uh, you raised stormwater fees because there was a need to fund the wastewater treatment facilities and that the, mo- the most obvious uh, impact on, on, a, on a citizen would be in flooding or in just clean water and the ability to provide uh, support on that. So I guess uh, thinking of those examples, you could bring up others if you want. How do you approach – because you've got to make a tough decision sometimes as a council member. How do you approach that? How do you go about making a decision like mm-hmm. that? Well, you're absolutely right. Those three three issues were probably some of the toughest issues that, that we've faced because uh, we we don't want to raise taxes. And I think that that's kind of been our our downfall, if you wouldn't if you would say, because uh, as a town, taxes were never increased. Not that we want to do that, but you have to go back and reevaluate your budget and your infrastructure and projects on a regular basis. And I think this is a lesson that's been learned that you can't just go 20 years doing the same thing. You've got to look at every aspect of your budget of projects that are moving forward and evaluate the systems and the processes on a regular basis so that you don't you don't catch people by surprise that all of a sudden it's like oh we've got to do a major increase to fund infrastructure or a specific project i think we need to carefully reevaluate salaries our our infrastructure our projects so that we're planning ahead and we are evaluating everything on a yearly basis so that if we need to raise taxes that we do it incrementally instead of at at one time like we've done before. But what had happened is it had never been done in many, many years. And now you're faced with 
a situation where you, you, you've got to make those hard choices. And so I, I think people understand uh, what we've done and, and we, we're very careful. We, we evaluate and we, we try to make these decisions based on the benefit of the future of the, of the community. Time goes fast in an interview like this. I only got to uh, some of the questions I wanted to ask you, but I'll ask this last question. I always give any candidate I have on 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 an interview like this an opportunity to to answer this question. Imagine I'm one of your constituents and I'm thinking about looking at all the candidates for the at-large election, and I look at you and said, you know, Mrs. Coble, I've looked at you, I've looked at your opponents. Explain to me why I should vote for you. What would your answer be? Well, one of the things that I'm really in favor of and I and I stand for is that if if you like what you see, if it, it you look at the success of the person, you look at uh, what they've done while they've served and I feel like while I've served as as a city councilor, I've uh, been a part of the success of Fishers and and I want to continue with that. So I think it's like look at what the individual candidates have done to champion causes, what they've done in their community, what they've done for fishers. And I, I would say that as, as an incumbent, I, we have a lot to be proud of, of the things that we've done in the last five years. And so if, if you like what you see, um, please vote for myself and our, our other elected incumbents uh, in, on the, in the May 7th primary. Yes, all three of the incumbents are running in the at-large election. Cecilia Coble, a candidate for re-election for Fisher City Council at large. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Larry. My thanks to Cecilia Coble for taking the time to speak with me. Primary election day is Tuesday, May 7th, with early voting available beginning in mid-April. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. <laughs>